Well, we're in Joshua chapter 7. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would lead us this evening in your word, that we would once again be growing in you as we are every week in your word. I pray that you would lead us, teach us, prepare us, Lord, to receive what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We left off with the greatest victory yet. The walls of Jericho, the last chapter, just came collapsing down. We talked about how it was the worst strategy of all strategies. Probably every single rule in warfare was broken because that's what the Lord promised them to do. They were faithful to do it. JJ beat you for once. Well. They're faithful to do what God told them to do, and they had a tremendous victory. But what we're going to see in this chapter, through a variety of different lessons, is that as it is for our own personal lives, when everything's going well, when we're having the victories, when we're following God, and He's blessing and prospering us, it is usually our moment of greatest weakness, because we think everything's going good, and we're letting our guard down. So with that intro, let's read verses 1 through 5 together. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is besides Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out of the country. Excuse me, spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to them, Do not let all the people go up, but let two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them be from before the gate as far as Sherebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Well, Joshua chapter 6, verse 18, it said that they were to take none of the accursed things of the city of Jericho. And we saw that they were demonic things. They were used for idolatry. They, they were not supposed to touch it. All the gold and silver was to be given to the Lord and don't touch anything else. Well, Achan took of the accursed things. And notice the list here. It's not just Achan. It's Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah. And his whole family and his tribe is listed. And what does it say here? It says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. A one guy, Achan, did this. But it doesn't say that here. He may have performed the deed, but the entire nation is guilty because of this one man's deed. Now, to our American-raised society and culture, this is just completely foreign to us. Every person here is, is judged as an individual. We talk about individual rights. We talk about freedoms. Even though they're rolling those things back every single day, we still at least talk about them. And we judge people as individuals. You know, you're not going to be judged for your father or your, for your mother. You're not going to be judged for your family. 
You're going to be judged as an individual. But that, that concept is not found here. The whole nation is guilty for this one person. And the shame that he brings on his own family and his tribe, the tribe is listed there. And so in my family, we try and, we try and bring this back just a little bit. You know, my kids are constantly reminded. You, know, you represent your mom and your dad. You represent your family. You represent our last name. When you act a fool, usually it's my oldest son, out there in school or out there, you are representing all of us. And he could say the same thing back to me. Because we're going to see that our decisions have consequences, our actions have consequences, and they affect everyone around you. Not just your kids, but you, parents, grandparents, church family. They, they all affect all of us. Now, let's talk about what's happening here. There are a million people in the nation of Israel. And Ai, this little town, is so small. When the spies come back, they're like, you don't need to send everyone. Not only do you not need to send everyone, just send two to 3,000 people. Just send a fraction to go there and take it. We don't even have to break camp for this. We, can't, we don't even have to break a sweat. And so Joshua... Being the smart guy that he is, he takes the larger number, 3,000, because a little bit more troops is always better, and he sends the 3,000 down there. But what has changed? God is not with them. God is not going to prosper them in, the, in their sin. Is this the 3,000 soldiers' fault? This is Ai's fault, or excuse me, Achan's fault. He's back in camp. This is his fault. And yet these guys go into battle, but something has changed. And I wanted you guys to notice something else that's really interesting. 3,000 people, but how many die for this great tragedy? 36. Like, 36. Now, I don't want to, if that was one of your kids or your parents, if that was one of your family members, then one is a tragedy, right? But 36 out of 3,000, that's a, that's a failure? That's a, you ran away? They don't have the heart to fight. They don't want to fight. They're scared. They don't think it's worth it. Whatever it is, God was no longer with them, and they were not motivated. They, don't, they just don't have the willpower to accomplish what needs to be done. But it's not just willpower alone. You see, one time, a long time ago, I was at Calvary Chapel, Lompoc, and I taught a, sudden, a, sun, a, a Sunday evening study. And I taught that when the nation of Israel failed at Kadesh Barnea, that if they had just gone back by faith into the land, then they would have been victorious. The issue is that I didn't happen to read ahead into numbers when they did try and go in there and God said, and they got beat bad and they ran away. So they, they did try to go right after it. So it shows that it's not just a matter of willpower, although they had lost it. It says here their hearts had melted at the very end of verse 5, like water, their hearts had melted. God was no longer with them. He was not going to prosper them. He wasn't going to guide them in battle. And we see here that the nation of Israel cannot win without God. See, the Canaanites cannot defeat Israel when Israel is following with the Lord. But Israel can defeat nobody without the power of God. But don't forget, it's one person's treachery where the Lord is withdrawing his hand. No, I don't think so. 
I'm not going to prosper this anymore. Let's talk about verses 6 through 9 together as we tie this all together. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And he and the elders of Israel, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwell on the other side of Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? Verse 9. For the Canaanites and all the, the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So there's more things to unwrap here. Number one is, why is he so upset? Like, it's just 3,000 men. It's literally just 36 of your guys died. 3,000 people left. You got millions. I mean, just go there, take the city, and be done with it. But Joshua knows something has changed. Something is wrong. We don't lose when God's on our side. The other thing that we see here is this mentality. Joshua is very clear here that if our enemies decide to fight, if our enemies turn against us, we are in such a weak strategic position, we will be destroyed. Israel, in, for its entire existence, has always had this, we cannot lose, period, ever, end of story, or it's over. There is no, like in the United States of America, we can withdraw from Vietnam, we can withdraw from Afghanistan, we can just give up over there, and we'll just turn our attention elsewhere, we'll be fine. Israel has nowhere to retreat. They have nowhere to go. There is no win a few, lose a few, it'll all work out in the end. They understand that in the position they're in here in the, um, in the B.C. and the position they are here in the 21st century, their back is against the sea. They literally have nowhere else. Their enemies will want to destroy them. And so you can see how important this is when Joshua tears his clothes fell on the earth it's not just him he and the elders of israel are all repenting tearing their clothes putting ash on their head they are trying to figure out what is going on and turning it around they do not take this tiny little defeat lightly and that defeats don't just happen well, there's a spiritual principle for each and every one of us because Jesus has given us the power over sin, death, and the devil. And he's given us, by his grace and through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit, the ability to resist temptation. And he will allow us to resist temptation or will give us a way of escape. That doesn't mean we can't be overtaken by temptation because we remember in the book of Romans that Paul the Apostle said, that he has to wrestle against the flesh. He has to wrestle against sin. And that verse I quote all the time, paraphrasing, that which I will not to do, that I do, that that I will to do, that I do not. This spiritual war inside of us. But we should analyze our defeats the same way that Joshua is with the elders. And we need to look back and say, defeats don't just happen. Why did I give into this temptation? Why did I put myself in a position where this could happen? Why am I continuing to do that? I should stop. And it should always start with, Lord, what did I do wrong and how do I fix it? I want to go back to you leading me. 
Because if the Lord is leading you, you cannot fail. Now, we're not talking about material. We're not talking about physical. We're not talking like, well, you'll never make a backstock pick if you're following the Lord. Or you'll never have a health setback if you're following the Lord. That's not what we're talking about here. But in the spiritual war between the spirit and the flesh, you will never lose. If you are walking in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That is a commandment, a law. Like the laws of physics, the promises of God, they don't change. And I wonder, how many times do we truly repent the way that they're repenting and seeking after God. Unfortunately, many of us have been trained, well, that's just grace. It'll be okay. It'll work itself out. God loves me. He'll forgive me. He'll forgive me tomorrow. He'll forgive me the next day. Remember what it says in Galatians chapter 6, that God is not mocked. That as I sow, that shall I also reap. And if you continue to sow to the flesh, you're going to continue to reap of the flesh. And if you're going to continue to sow to the spirit, glorious promise you will reap of the spirit you'll have the fruits of the spirit no they know that every battle matters and no matter how small the defeat it is a big deal their existence depends on it well what's going on what does god tell him verses 10 through 15 so the lord said to joshua get up why do you lie thus on your face Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies. Because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any more unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come by households. And the household which the Lord takes shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Well, we're getting serious now. Now, some of you may be excited. Oh, yes, the Lord said, get up. Well, the Lord's not going to tell you to get up if you're not on your face in repentance. You know, many of us, we just stand all the time. We just walk up to the Lord, just taking his grace for granted. We come boldly to the throne of grace and we don't repent for anything. We're not sorrowful for anything that we do. We don't look at any of our secret sins. We're not taking any ground in our spiritual walk. We're not growing. We're not advancing. We're just like, well, the Lord will forgive me. It'll be all right. Well, that as you sow, that shall you also reap. Are you not worried about reaping of the flesh? I remember 
uh, King David when he took the census. Remember, he was not supposed to take the census. He counted all the mighty men. He wanted to see how big his army was. God told him not to do it. He did it anyway. And then he was confronted with that. And then God gave him a choice. I can let your enemies take you. He said, I can have a plague upon you, or I can bring this other disaster upon you. What was David's response? I would gladly take your punishment over anything my enemies would do. But we're going to the world and we're reaping and sowing in the world and you are trusting what the world is going to give back to you? You're trusting their judgment upon you and your walk and in your household? I, I don't trust the world for anything. It's going to destruction. It's turned its back on God. It's in rebellion. And so when the world through its screens and through its people and its talking heads and its social media and all the different inputs on your life all the time is telling you all this garbage, telling you all these lies from the pit. And you're like, well, you know, that maybe we are kind of advanced. Maybe that'll work. Maybe I'll try that. Instead, we should be on our face before the Lord. Lord, what is wrong and how do I fix it? And then the Lord will tell you exactly what he told Joshua. Get up. For my, your, his mercies are new every day. His grace will never fail. He will always take you. He will always remake you. He will always work in you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. These are all promises that we have. But pride puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. And you're going to stumble. But he will tell you to the repentant. Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? There is a time to do something about it. Now, there he is again, breaking all our American cultural rules. In verse 11, God said, Israel has sinned. No, Achan sinned. Why, why do you mean Israel? The sins of Achan are on the whole nation. And this is where we, we take the political correctness, right? I just said all the things that the world's telling us. And we're going to kick that out. It's gone. And now we're going to look at the Bible, what the Bible says. We are aborting our children, and we can't say, well, live and let live. The judgment is upon us, our entire nation. Oh, well, you know, homosexuality and homosexual marriages and transgender, you know, live and let live. Listen, we're to love our neighbors. God told us, love your neighbors. If I, I have always said, if I have a transgender or a homosexual couple next door, I will be the best neighbor they will ever have as a Christian. I will roll out their trash can. I'll protect it from robbers. I'll look out for them, make sure there are newspapers on their porch if they're weird and they still do that. Doesn't mean I'm going to be disrespectful. Doesn't mean I'm going to be unloving. I'm going to love them as a person. But it is an abomination. It is an abomination before God. And we're not going to just say, well, live and let live. The, the sins of the whole world are upon us. How can you say that, Mike? That's just so mean. Listen, flip to the end of the book, the book of Revelation. God's judgment and wrath is going to be poured out on the whole planet. There will be no let live, live and let live. Everybody just do what that's right in their own eyes. That does not work. God sits on the thrones. He sets the rules. He tells us the way it's going to be. We are to be loving, compassionate, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, willing to be beaten, willing to be persecuted. For what, though? To say these truths, that these truths do not change. 
Mike, that's just so bigoted of you. According to who? According to who? Not to the Lord. There is going to be a serious judgment. 36 men died because Achan decided to grab a coat. Well, if we want to get serious, this nation is going to reap what it sows. It's not going to be a godly judgment, a a supernatural judgment from God, because if that were the case, he'd wiped us out a long time ago and every other nation on the planet. He's reserving that for the whole world. But God is not mocked. That as you sow, that shall you also reap. And the farther this nation gets away from God's word, the worse it will get. And we can spend billions of dollars in our military, but if we lose our family structure, and if men and women are not willing to sacrifice themselves for the greater good, to sacrifice their rights, to uh, push and to be willing to take the lives of others for the defense of this nation, then this nation will crumble. No matter how many billions of dollars we pour into it, you have to have the will to do it. And I would say we need the Spirit of God to be able to. Now, we've, we've already proved that willpower on its own won't do it just because, remember the nation of Israel after Kadesh Barnea, we'll go into the promised land, we'll take it back. We made a mistake. You cannot do it without the Lord. Sure, you'll have temporary success, but not long-term. It just won't happen. Our position, however, is secure in Jesus Christ, and that's where we're going to divorce ourselves from the Old Testament because our sins are paid for. The punishment of our sins for Christians is on the back of Jesus Christ. He took that from us. He's made us free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. But we can't forget, we Christians is who Galatians 6 is written to. That as you sow, that shall you also reap. And we need to be wise. We need to be wise. We need to repent of our sin. We need to grow in sanctification, turning away from our sin and growing closer to the Lord and trying to help others to do the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Don't you know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little bit. And we're going to see, just as this small thing is affecting the entire nation of Israel, there may be small things in our hearts or in our minds or in our families that are affecting this fellowship on a micro or on the macro ideas or thoughts that we're having in this nation that are leading us to destruction. Well, Mike, you better give us a reference if you're just going to say something so blatant like that. How popular was Nazism in the 1930s in Germany? They had a, they had a way of thinking. They passed laws. They said that Jews were inferior human beings. They said that they were uh, terrorists. They said that they were against civilization and society. They passed laws. That was the government. That was the media. That was the politicians, and they were all, would any of us agree that that's right? Do any of us think that in the United States, that black people are inferior to whites? Is a black person three-fifths of a human being? That's what their vote was for a long time. Are they secondary class subhumans that should be enslaved for their own good? Nobody thinks that. It's wrong. But who is going to be the person that's going to stand up to society and say, This is wrong. That may be the popular viewpoint today, but it is wrong. And we need to go back to the biblical foundations. Because the joke has got to end sooner or later. 
And we can't just keep saying, well, just live and let live. Well, just whatever they want to do as long as they don't mess with me. They can't think that in the nation of Israel with this situation, and neither can we. And so now we're going to see what happens after Joshua gets these instructions. He gets his instructions. There is sin in the camp. Someone has done it. You're going to go family to family, group to group, man to man, until you find out who it is, and then you're going to do something about it. So verses 16 through 18. And this, I'm in chapter 7. I almost went to chapter 6. Did I flip the wrong page? I don't think I flipped back. Verse 16 through 18. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah and he took the family of the Zarites. And he brought the family of the Zarites man by man and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Can you imagine the whole country is lined up. We gonna find out what's going on. Remember, this is all off of a battle of three thousand people, where thirty-six people died. The, the whole million of them sitting out there, and they're gonna line them up. Okay, it's the tribe of Judah. Y'all can go now. We just gonna deal with the tribe of Judah. Then they go through the tribe of Judah, all the different families, all the clans. Oh, we found the clan. The clan of Judah and the family of the Zarites. So now they've gotten down to the Zarites. Can you imagine being Achan? I hope they call on somebody else. It can't possibly be me thereafter. He knows. Now, I want to point something out. Could he at any time have said, this is all about me. I repent. Let's turn this around. I am so sorry. The moment that we lost the battle, I knew I disobeyed God. They're, going, they're literally going man to man down to the very end. Then he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi. And look, just in case we didn't know what family he's from, the Bible lists it again. We're associated. And it goes both ways. What if you're Achan's kids? Achan made a decision that has consequences. Listen, Young people that are in here, I know they don't teach you this, but this used to be literally beaten into us. When you make decisions, they have consequences, whether you like the consequences or not. And sometimes consequences happen that are not your fault, but you still deal with them. That's how life works. Here, he made a decision, Aiken does, to sin and disobey the laws of God. And he is about to die. And it has an effect on his entire family. Parents, grandparents, people that have children in their influence, we make decisions that have consequences for our youth and our families and our church day in and day out. Let's make sure we're making the right ones. Let's make sure we're giving the right wisdom. Let's make sure that we are not compromising in areas that are going to lead to the destruction of our family. And when we do make those mistakes, and they will happen, will we please use them as lessons for next generation so that they don't make the same mistakes? Instead of trying to sweep it under the rug, tell everybody that that's freedom, 
And that's the way that we should be. We should be learning from them. Let's read now verses 19 through 21. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent and with the silver under it. Oh, my goodness. You know what's interesting, though, if you look at the text? When Joshua speaks to him, he says, glory God and make confession to him. You know, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and we can glorify and honor God by making confession to him. Lord, I have sinned. I have fallen short. I have not done well in this area. And we can give him glory that way. I just found that so fascinating. I never even thought about it. And he finally decides to do it. Now, you would think he's going to get off scot-free. Oh, great. You told him. Awesome. It's too late. Before Joshua even told him. It's over. It's too late. The decision has been made. You know, in the United States now, we, in our judiciary system, I'm kind of neutral, to be honest, on the uh, death penalty. The Bible says clearly that the death penalty is okay. The Bible has been given, the uh, government has been given the authority of the sword in Romans 13. The reason I'm neutral is because I don't trust the government, and too many people have been innocently let go recently that have been in dec uh, decades in prison. DNA evidence let them go. So I, I, don't, I don't think I'm too far for it or against it. But I want to bring out this comment. How many times in our society is someone who's killed three or four people or a family or some innocent people? They say, oh, he's changed. He's a better person now. We, we should just let him go. He writes children's books now in prison. Well, that's great. But it's too late. It's too late. You can't bring those people back. You can't undo what you've done. You need to repent to Jesus Christ and let him pay for your sins. But I don't understand now suddenly we say, oh, it's okay. We'll just, oh, just let him go. He apologized. Same thing for Achan. Oh, you know, he, he, he admitted it. He let it go. We'll just put the Babylonian garment back. There are 36 dead soldiers that were doing the right honorable thing. They were willing to lay down their lives and sacrifice themselves and to be the tip of the spear. When everyone else was back in camp, they volunteered or were voluntold to be the 3,000 to go. And Achan decided to have a rich Babylonian coat at home. And those families will never have their fathers, brothers, sons back ever again. Achan, it's over. And I, I, I say it with strong language because as we read the text, we're kind of like, oh, that's so sad. We shouldn't do that. We need to realize what has happened and what has taken place. At any given time, he could have confessed, but they waited till the whole nation was lined up. They went all the way down the line, through the tribe, through the clan, through the family, straight to him. And finally, Joshua says to him face to face, for the glory of God, confess. And now he decides to confess. I tell you, young people, again, there are consequences 
for your actions. Every beer commercial that you see shows waterfalls and mountains and happy people that are skinny and suntan and having a great time. And every movie you watch has parties and all that kind of good stuff and everybody's happy and having a great time. I don't see a single commercial yet that shows what happened to Megan's friend in high school who went to a party, got drunk and high, drove home, slammed her car into a wife and three kids and killed all four of them. And only the husband was alive, left at home. And then she was sent into prison. She was in college. She had her whole future ahead of her. That's not in the commercial. That's not on the social media. That's not on the TikTok video. We have to look at the world through the biblical lens. There are consequences. We need to stick to what the Lord is teaching us. Remember, Jesus didn't come here to condemn the world. He didn't come to punish us or just tell us that we're bad. But he's giving us instructions for life. And he said that I came that you may live life and life more abundantly. Real life. Not the fake stuff they're trying to sell. Well, now we have the last section here, verses 21, 22 through 26. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. Sorry, verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent, with the silver under it. And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. They brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Achor to this day. Well, just to add a little bit of levity to the situation, John Corson says that Aiken was Aiken. Only he can get away with a joke like that. But yes, he has taken out him and his family. We know he is stoned. There are Bible commentators are split on what's going on here. Some Bible commentators say that Aiken is now stoned by the whole nation. And all of his household is brought to watch. So his daughters are present. His family is present. The other half of the Bible scholars say they were all. Why could you do that? Why would they do that? Listen, that stuff's not hidden under the tent and nobody knows about it. You don't have something like there under the tent. Hey, Dad, what you got under there? What's going on? Don't, don't ask any questions. No, they know what's happening. They saw it caught in. They saw it brought in. They know what's going on. That means they were complicit and they were sitting there when the whole nation was going through and nobody said a peep. Says something about family loyalty in those days. But what did we learn? Decisions have consequences. 
And so regardless of which way it was, I, I don't know. I don't think it really matters to us. It affected the whole family regardless because either they lost their father and that income or the whole family is gone, wiped out. Listen, when we make decisions, we need to make sure we're making good, sound, biblical decisions because I would much rather have bad consequences in the temporal, in the physical, following Jesus than to have the bad consequences of the world and the flesh and the enemy. I would rather have the persecution and the struggles following Christ in the short term to know that he is preparing a place before us, that there is a, a house that we will have with him, that there are crowns that we will receive for eternity, than to receive all of the blessings of the flesh and the world and the fame and the money and the health and all the toys that they could ever have here on this planet and know that I've disappointed the Lord or even worse, turn my back on the Lord. Because when we have the word of God written in our hearts on the tablets of stone, when we have our minds washed with the water of the word, like it says, husbands, and wash your wives in the water of the word, Ephesians 5. When we are inoculated with the gospel and the truth of God, we can start to see through all of the lies that are constantly being poured into your eyeballs from this world. And you could be like that guy in that picture in 1930s Germany. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. They're all there in a big crowd in a parade. They're all giving Nazi salutes, and there's one guy sitting there with his arms folded. Nope, not going to do it. They did some research on that guy, and he had a Jewish girlfriend. He wasn't going to partake in that nonsense. It didn't matter how much hysteria was around it. I want to be doing that, but crossing my arms for the Lord Jesus. I will not bow like Daniel and his friends before the idol of Babylon. No, no. But that's a decision that we all have to make, each and every one of us. You see, not just one of us can be strong. All of us have to follow the Lord. Not just one of us can stay pure. All of us need to be sanctified in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In, in closing, there was a pastor in, in Florida, mega church, mega church. And I'm reading this article. It's very interesting. This is years ago. And there was an interesting story there in Florida. A bank robber, a robber had come into a store and was robbing the store. And as the robber is robbing the store, he's apologizing. You know, he doesn't have any money. Things are tough. You know, the lady begins to preach the gospel, says the church that she goes to. The perpetrator, I kid you not, you can't make this up, says, I go to that church too. Now, this is a mega church, so that kind of thing can happen. Well, the very next day, guess whose door the, the newspaper's at? The pastor's. Hey, did you hear about this? What do you want to say to this person or that person or this person or that person? He's like, he doesn't, he doesn't hardly know half the people in his fellowship. It's so big. But what is the whole state of Florida and every person that reads that paper thinking? Because actions have consequences and they affect us all. And so if you decide to go and, exp and have some liberty and go get drunk on Christmas and you get into a car wreck and you've got a Calvary Chapel Low Country sticker on the back of your car, what are they going to say? You know it. 
but none of us seem to be too worried about carrying the name of Jesus Christ and what, how we represent him. And we get caught in our sins, and he's the one that gets known. Oh, yeah, the Christians said. The Christians did this. The Christians did that. I praise God for his grace, his unmerited favor for each and every one of us that he bestows on us, that he still loves us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, no matter how silly we are. He never disassociates from us. We are the ones that disassociate from him. Well, let's close in prayer. We, on Wednesday nights, we like to close the evening, the, close out the hour, praying, interceding for one another as he's asked us to do. Lord, we pray that you would be leading us in prayer tonight, interceding for one another. I pray that you would be working in us this evening, filling us with your spirit, teaching us, directing us. We pray for those that are in authority. We pray for those that are homesick, recovering from surgeries, Lord, bugs that seem to be going around. And we lift up this weekend's services. We know there'll be many visitors here, Lord, and we pray for them. We pray that they would have a strong walk with you and be saved if they're not. We lift up this evening to you.